Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, women undergoing treatments at a Yale fertility clinic complained of severe pain. Why did it take so long to discover their pain medication had been swapped out for saline solution? We'll talk about the podcast, The Retrievals, from Serial Productions. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, and favorite nurse, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And I want to tell you that in honor of your new Barbie... Yes. Today, I got a Barbie pedicure. Uh, very happy a to Bobby, hear that. A Barbie pedicure? Yes. You mean like on yourself or on your Barbie? No, on myself, because apparently if you're going to go to the Barbie movie and like Rebecca's going to go and bring her Barbie with her when she goes, you have to have on Barbie pink nails. Oh, okay. Incredible. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, the host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously a brand new episode of Crime Writers. It is. It's got that new episode smell. What is coming up on future editions of the program? So on Thursday, we're going to have another classic rewind. We're going back to our review of... Beware the Slender Man. Ooh. That's a classic, right? That is a creepy one. Yeah. Uh, And then on uh, next week, on Monday's show, we're going to be talking about the uh, Peacock documentary series, Where is Baby Gabriel? Where is he? Not in his crib. No. Not a spoiler. He's also not a baby anymore. Well. Maybe he's in New Hampshire. He could be anywhere. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. I guess that's the point of the thing. So that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be looking at. There's nothing like a documentary that has a question as its title. You 100% know they're not going to answer that question yes. in the documentary. You 100% know that, right? Yeah. That's the least of the problems. <laughs> That's least of the problem. We should go ahead. People are like, can't wait for next week to hear that discussion. Spoiler alert. Absolute spoiler alert. <clears throat> so, Laura, you had some news that you wanted to share with us. Now, just to be fair, listeners, I don't know what this news is. It I may, may be setting be, up something horrible. It may not be anything interesting. What is it? What's your news? <laughs> No, I know we have a lot of our crime writers on. So I'm in my office tonight. So obviously when I'm coming to my office, I always pop in the bookstore um, uh, because it's right next door. And I know a lot of our listeners have ordered from Water Street Bookstore 
And we all know Dan with the good hair, but a lot of our listeners came to appreciate Alden with the kind eyes. Oh, now, Alden it's, it, with it's, the your, ki- it's your good way of saying this young man is hot. He is, yeah. but now he's gone. Um, so Alden with the kind eyes has gone off to like grad school and he's headed to uh, Colorado. So listeners from now on, you're just going to get like, you're not going to get him anymore, but we want to thank him for his service. Okay. Can mm-hmm. we call him hot now that he's no longer working there? Yeah. Well now, you know, cause for a while, nobody knew what he looked, he was always wearing the mask and yeah. then we're like, maybe it's going to be a thing where he's not cute under his mask, but he's a really, he's really be like guy. a she's all that moment where he just <laughs> takes the mask off. You're like, wow, it's hot. Underneath. Yeah. yeah. So his last day he was gone. He didn't want a big deal. He wouldn't let me make a big announcement, but I'm making it here. Yeah. So instead of announcing it to eight <laughs> people, you're announcing it to 50,000 people. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Anything else you'd like to share, Laura? Um, No, not today. Okay. Well, I think we should talk about the thing we're here to talk about. Does that sound good? That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Let's do it because I can't wait to talk about this because I'm all fired up about it. Leading off, Kevin, you ready? Yeah. Let's drop that first clip right now. You know, I don't don't know if I can do this any longer. You know, you just have to get through it. It's going to be over before you know it. Okay, this is going to be over eventually. You can do this. You can do this. want this moment to be over. Get through it. Get through it. Patients at a Yale fertility clinic complained of severe pain during common egg retrieval procedures. Despite nurses' insistence they've received the maximum dosage of fentanyl, the women continued to suffer, unaware they were actually receiving a simple solution of saline. I remember telling them, like, the nurse is stealing the fentanyl because it seems so obvious to me. I mean, fentanyl is the most diverted drug in medical settings. It's like a now major driver of the opioid crisis. And it was just really easy to imagine that someone with access to, you know, poorly controlled fentanyl would be abusing it. After a tampered vial was discovered, authorities arrested an addicted nurse who'd been swapping out the opioid. But the many patients had more questions. Were their complaints ignored? Could the clinic have done more? And how were these victims who want a family supposed to feel about the legal accommodations made for a defendant with children of her own? The victims can probably appreciate the legal requirement. That doesn't seem that hard to grasp. But the victims don't appreciate is the painful irony that isn't being acknowledged here. Donna's status as a mother protects her. And motherhood is why a lot of them are here in the first place. They wanted what she has. From Serial Productions comes The Retrievals. Host Susan Burton tells the story of the patients whose pain was ignored, the nurse who stole their medicine and watched them suffer, and the institution that failed them all. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first four episodes of The Retrievals. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Kevin, you think that this is a think piece and not an investigation. Why is that? Well, it doesn't seem much like an investigation. It's not moving things. Look, we just got to say We only got the first four episodes here. We don't know how it ends. But as far as, you know, digging into who did it, we're not really there yet. It does sort of feel a little more like a meditation on what happened and about some of the other issues there, like about women's pain and about how we deal with people with addictions in not only medicine, but in the criminal justice system. I think it might be best consumed that way as as opposed to trying to figure out like a traditional true crime piece, like we're going to find out who the killer is here, right? We're not going to, you know, maybe find out exactly 
who knew what. There may not be a big Perry Mason moment at the end of this saying, aha, Dr. So-and-so, but I don't think that's what they set out to do. So I think there's a difference between investigative journalism and enterprise journalism. To Mm -hmm. me, this is very much in the enterprise journalism space, right? So like we're talking about a thing. It's all wrapped together in a big package. It's a story that tells a bigger story, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, anyone who knows me knows this is a huge issue for me. Women's pain. Huge. I'll just say right up front Um, I am a person who strongly believes that if any man had to go to any gynecology appointment, there would be fucking anesthetic at a gynecology appointment. Those that shit hurts getting an IUD inserted for me. Oh my God. I thought I was going to die when I had that happen. It's worse than getting a, it's worse. I had worse cramps than when I had labor. For me, it was worse than getting a broken leg, period. And my midwife, the most empathetic care provider I've ever had in my life told me to quote, stop being a baby. So this is a huge issue for me. And this story. I think you're bringing something to this podcast that. uh, Every woman, not just me, every woman who listens to this podcast will be able to relate to this story. No, when when I had that happen, Rebecca, they said, oh, it's just a little cramping. A pinch. I was like, a pinch, a a little, a little, little cramping. I was like sweating. I went home. I had such bad cramps. I just went to like, I was like, oh, my God, am I having another child? Yeah, I am. I am sorry, but like this is an unacknowledged story that is so prevalent for more than 50 percent of the population. And I am so fucking glad this podcast was made. I'm just afraid the wrong people are going to be listening to it. I'm just I'm, I'm afraid the people who listen to it are going to think that it's just, quote, some people who experience this. Laura, when you were listening to it, did you have the same feeling that like this is an untold story, period? Well, I think it's not an until I think it is something that in this particular instance, we hear so much resistance from the people that are in charge to actually acknowledge the pain of these women that it's, I think, very validating for a lot of women who have been in medical offices. But it, I mean, God, like, I don't know. I mean, it, this is obviously a very different situation, but I think there is this sort of like, oh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. And I think obviously this is like that response and that attitude, next level steroids, like this is the worst case scenario. And I would say worst case, but you know, one of the worst case scenarios on a mass scale where this can happen, where you have these women, I mean, like listening to them recount how bad it hurt. And like one woman who like passed out on the floor in her house when she got up because she was having such serious, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a visceral reaction at times listening to this when you hear some of these victims describing the level of pain they went through and how they powered through that basically because of their desire to have children. And this is, this is the choice. If you want to have children, this is what you have to do. I remember like thrusting my hips up, actually thrusting my hips up saying, I feel everything like, and like nobody believed me. And it's just like, I don't know. But what are you going to do? I, you know, I wanted the procedure done. I just let it happen. And I was like, I'm awake. But there's like a level of pride that women are supposed to have in, in like dealing with pain. Like, we're told that if we go through childbirth naturally, which I did twice, that, like, you're supposed to be did proud. Did you really? Of, yeah, you're supposed to, but you're supposed to be proud no, of that. Do you know, no, like that's do you know to, what? <laughs> I wrote, I have to tell you, actually, this is opening up a whole story. I'm sorry, boys, but we have to segue into this. Because, yes, Rebecca, when I was going into childbirth, I went to the birthing classes and I was documenting my whole pregnancy. 
And I, I wrote about it and I said, like, we do not live in the era of women biting on sticks out back. Medical science is at the point where you do not need to feel the pain anymore. They gave me a map when I went into the, whatever, not Lamaze, but whatever they call it now, classes. And they had like the natural childbirth path. And it was like this happy little path with like flowers. And it was a map they gave you. And then the other one was the epidural highway. And it was like this ugly cement trail. (laughs) And I was like, I want to be on the epidural highway. I don't want to be on the fucking biting on sticks path. Like I'm all set. And I remember like raising my hand and saying this and they were like, oh, but you know, just do your breathing. And I'm like, fuck the breathing, man. Like, give me the drugs. So I, I digress. But, but you're supposed to be proud of it in a way that I just don't think men are ever challenged But to good be. for you, Rebecca. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. all set. Like, I'm yeah. good, man. Yeah. I mean, Toby, do you, I mean, you for your first note is that women's pain isn't acknowledged. I will say it's not acknowledged. We're supposed to be proud of it. But when listening, listening to this podcast, you also hear like the racial disparity, right? Like we're just, it's not that we're, it's not acknowledged. Like we're not believed. Like, do you believe that we're not believed? I guess I'm asking you that question. Do I believe that you're not believed? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Next question. I don't know how I can follow up on that. without. Does, but how does Yale not believe people? That's my question. And my question, listen to this, is patient after patient after patient. It's not one out of every 12 saying I can feel everything. We hear in this podcast that it's like all of them saying I can feel everything. When do you think there would be a point where like somebody would be like, hey, doc, I think there's something wrong with our fucking practice here. Well, I mean, I think that's I mean, this seems to me like there's like three or four stories here. And one of them is about sort of institutional failure and lack of communication between doctors. And you would just think this is the kind of thing like, I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm not a doctor. I've never worked at a hospital, but you would think that there is some communication in like a weekly or biweekly or whatever meeting where you would discuss, at least the nurses would discuss like what came up that we should address. And if a bunch of people are saying, well, these women are saying that they're feeling like they don't have any anesthetic and it's happening again and again and again, like maybe we should figure out what's going on, but it sounds like that didn't happen. Cause it seems like it'd be pretty quick where it's just like you, you test some of the vials and you find out they're filled with salt water instead of fentanyl. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, institutions, protect themselves right so it's not too surprising that rather than being like open and and honest and stuff they're very cagey trying to deflect blame pin blame on one person as much as possible but it just seems like it's so a lot of people had to either be incompetent not give a shit or just you know not be paying attention or or i guess possibly are just so arrogant to let this be happening again and again and again without any kind of conversation and trying to, I guess, remediate it. No meetings, Kevin, right? No meetings. Like every, they just assumed infallibility. Yeah. I think that, you know, the part about women's pain, you're right. I'll let you have the last word on that. Although I feel like it's sort of beyond that. I think that your whole issue is about like pain with IUDs and things like this, that uh, that's sort of a common complaint and it's legitimate. I think in this thing here, we're talking about procedures where no people weren't given 
anesthetic, right? And and that's a different situation. I think it's the but, same, frankly. Well, it's, it's, there's a through I, line I think, to it, I think. I, yeah, okay. I think that the connection there is that when women complain about it, maybe it's the, well, women's pain is Women ignored, complain. Right. I think it goes beyond that because I think the problem, it's not just, well, we don't believe women. It's that there's this, like Toby says, this professional arrogance that like, no, 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 no. This, we were giving you the good stuff. You're you're the one who's wrong because we know, oh, X amount of fentanyl, that's going to, you know, the maximum amount, you're not going to feel anything. There's something there. It also, I think the arrogance is probably multiplied because this is a Yale facility. So it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're Yale, we're, you know, Ivy League and we're the best in the region. And so we know what we're doing. And so the idea that like troubleshooting, like, yeah, you know that. Yeah, that seems like there's something not right, especially when we know, as it's said here, that fentanyl is the most diverted drug. It's not, you know, replaced with anything other than the only thing other than maybe salt water is tap water. Hmm. You know, so that it occurred to no one knowing that. Knowing the reason why, like, they have to get the actual vial in a certain way because of all these different security handling and stuff like that, it is specifically for this reason that either they're like, oh, yeah, all of our safeguards work, so it's obviously there's They didn't have there. those safeguards. You're right. They didn't. They just go to fucking Walgreens. They were getting their drugs from fucking Walgreens, which is wild. It was all basically about protecting Yale, one staffer remembered. Nobody cared about anything that we went through as providers. No one cared what patients went through. It was all just sort of minimizing this as much as quickly as possible. What's wild, though, is that these things keep happening. Okay, so like this is obviously a situation where we have drug diversion in this fertility clinic. Like I can't not bring this up because this happened in my little town of Exeter. We had a huge case at our hospital where we had this guy that caused a hepatitis C outbreak. Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski. David Kwiatkowski, who was um, basically diverting drugs from people that were scheduled from surgery. He worked in the cath lab and same thing. And the thing that happened in that case that it came up was that this was somebody who had done this in other hospitals and he just kept moving on because there was like no national registry to track, like not just doc- like doctors, yes, but anybody like lower wasn't getting tracked. So this guy just kept moving around and doing it. But like what you were saying, Kevin, I mean, I think that was the thing that this is Yale. So if you're a patient and you're like, I'm going to Yale for my fertility treatments. You're expecting just because of the name Yale and the reputation that you're going to be getting top-notch treatment. So I think if I'm a patient in that situation, I can see being a little intimidated to even speak up because you're at Yale. Like this shouldn't be happening there. This isn't like the vet clinic fertility clinic out in the middle of nowhere with like, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And you're also in a, in a very different kind of medical situation, you're pot committed, right? In any other medical circumstance, if you go to a dentist and you have this bad experience, you go to a fucking different dentist next time. You can't do this in this situation because you've already paid these people $15,000. You've already gone through this huge course of treatment with them. They already have your first batch of eggs or whatever. It's not like you can just be like, I had a bad experience at this place, so I'm going to switch I'm going to switch fertility clinics. You are pot committed to this place. You have a relationship with them. You've been through their care team. You've been through the whole emotional journey with them. And you've given them at least $15,000 for at least one round, maybe more than one round. So you feel like this is how it's supposed to be. Maybe you've been on Facebook groups and people have been like, wait, at my place, it doesn't hurt. 
But you're like, I'm at Yale and it did hurt me. So it's probably my fault. You're not blaming Yale and you're not thinking, you're not programmed to think like you would be in any other situation. I've paid so much. Like, I can't just switch, right? Yeah, you know, with any kind of experience, like there is an expected pain level. Like there's like, okay, I will anticipate a certain amount of pain, like the pain of having to listen to the business section as we talk about all the great stuff we have going on. What a transition, Kevin. Think of the women, Kevin. Yeah, talk about pot committed. Talk about pot committed. (laughs) Like right now uh, on Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You could be joining us right now. Right now we've got on our Crowdcast video, we've got a bunch of our patrons who are here. They're watching the live show. Yeah. They're actually already uh, filing in their uh, votes, their thumbs up and thumbs down in our poll on the screen. So we'll find out later what they thought about the retrievals. You also could get this podcast early and ad-free. That's right. Other things going on, Toby, uh, recently did, uh, no, did you do your uh, recording already, Toby, for Deep Dive? Uh, The book was called The Stranger Beside Me, right? Yes. It's about, uh, it's Anne Rule's first book. It's about Ted Bundy, the serial killer who I actually sat next to her at a suicide hotline uh, in Seattle probably during but possibly before um his murders so we had a great discussion it was myself and claire clark from uh, trinity college dublin the other trinity college um and alex segura and lauren bright pacheco we had a really good discussion which i think people like yeah, that's going to be out as a podcast, the audio version, very shortly. You also could have been with us for the special crossover. It was Married with Podcast and Leave It to Bricker. And Laura Bricker came on and she told us all about her experiences on the dating apps. Yes. Including including the one guy who had his profile, his name was Loaded Diaper. Yes. Which apparently is a... Uh, Captain Underpants or Diary, Diary of, a of a Wimpy Kid. I, yeah. I had no idea. I just thought the guy had some sort of weird diaper fetish. I mean, but but imagine the people on the apps. Nobody fucking knows that unless you know that book. And you're just looking at the apps and scrolling through and you're like, dude has a name loaded diaper. How sexy. I want to date that dude. By the way, he lives in our town. Loaded diaper lives in our fucking town. We've been looking for him everywhere. We have been looking... We everywhere I go, I go to the market, I go to the gas station, we go to our local pub. I'm like, is that loaded diaper? Is that loaded diaper? Is that loaded diaper? Everywhere we go. We've been showing his picture to the people. We're like, is this you guys you know this guy? You know this guy? Hundred percent. Well, it's really funny because I have to tell you, um, I don't want to mock people that are on there, but sometimes there's a, a crazy profile picture and I screenshot it. And I showed somebody this picture. I was with a group of friends and the guy goes, oh, my God, I know that guy. (laughs) And then like was like going on this whole like and then now his ex-wife went to Miami and got fake boobs. And this is her. And I was like, oh, my God, like it's such a small world in New Hampshire. So be careful what you put on the profile. That's right. And don't put on the profile. Little known fact about me. I was (laughs) I was once a murder suspect. The fuck? Yeah. The actual fuck. It's, That's not I, sexy either. It's a not selling sexy. point. Just a suspect. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I was cleared. No one was ever arrested. So far. So far. <laughs> yeah, but those cases never Whatever go Whatever happened to baby Gabriel, dude? Was it you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Who knows? Who <sighs> knows? Also in uh, Crime Writers on Partners in Media 
Crisis and Crime Media World. Get it right. Shut we up. We want people to join. Uh, we have a new episode of These Are Their Stories Out. We're looking at an old episode from uh, Law & Order. This is one of the special guest star was Chevy Chase. Oh, God. And uh, basically, this is a takeoff. The, re- the rip from the headline story is the one where Mel Gibson got pulled over for drunk driving and went on a racist, sexist tirade. And so uh, let's play a little clip from the uh, the episode. You blew a .13. You've been placed under arrest for DWI. Screw you, sugar tits. I have powerful friends who will crucify you and your people for even putting your hands on me. Can you hear that behind the mirror? Uh, And our guest, Molly McCain, said that from now on, she's going to sign off all of her business emails with screw you, sugar tits. Yes. I I just want to be known as sugar tits. Yeah. All right. Um, To be fair, the cop had some pretty sweet tits. (laughs) She did. Like, what she a did. name. Toby? Yes? Yeah. You right. have a I've got no comment. <laughs> so there are landmines everywhere here this, this episode. This is a tough one. Yeah. This is a tough one. There are like 15 career enders we're going to go around the corner for. <laughs> Kevin, is that it for our business section? Uh, no. What do we usually have? Oh, we have Patreon patron saints of the week? No. No? What of we- course we do. The actual <laughs> hell. Do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week? Who are they? Our Patreon patron saints are Lisa Kirker and Elaine Hom. Ah. Bless you. Bless you, Lisa and Elaine. Uh, love you guys. Love everyone who supports us on Patreon. Those of you who have been sainted, those of you who haven't, and those of you who just muscle through the business section anyway, just because it's stupid. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Thanks for not supporting us. And let's get back to the program, shall we? Toby, should we uh, fade the music down? Your favorite music? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> let's do it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, so we find out that a nurse is in fact responsible for diverting some uh, drugs. And she is actually an interesting figure in the podcast. Uh, Her name is Donna. Interestingly, um, the journalists who produced the show decide not to use her last name, which I actually found to be an interesting choice, but we're not going to get into that. Um, Toby, what do you find interesting about Donna as a figure in this story? Well, she plays a lot of different parts, right? In the typical sort of true crime podcast, she's, you know, she's, first of all, she's the perpetrator. I mean, she's a criminal, but she's also appears to be a victim of a bad domestic situation. Uh, She's also a person who has opioid use disorder. So it gets, you're not really asked to feel like sympathetic to her, but you're asked to sort of understand that it's sort of a more complicated picture than just this, somebody maliciously trying to put women in pain. Um, And then there's a twist, I guess, towards the end of the third episode where you find out that she's actually had the same procedure done, which, 
kind of turns some of the victims against her who are, who are sort of more willing to be understanding of where she was coming from. But then when it's like, well, if you actually kind of knew what we were going through and you still did it, that that's a little off. So um, I think that's kind of what makes this podcast is that it, it's kind of tying up a bunch of, of sort of things in one story and she and herself sort of inhabits a bunch of different sort of trends in our society, uh, including uh, opioid addiction. Well, I mean, know what it was, Toby. She was there holding the hands of some of the patients who weren't getting fentanyl because she had diverted it. I mean, not only does she understand it personally from what the procedure is, but she gets to sit right there and like she knows your pain and your pain and your pain, quite literally, because she was there while you were screaming and saying, my God, this something's not right here. Was there, they don't really talk about whether she was. I don't using... think she was in the procedure rooms. I think she no. was more of a clinical she was the point nurse. of contact. Yeah. yeah. Cause they, they talked about at the end, how she was so diligent because she was getting her prescriptions filled like a week before. And they yeah. thought, isn't she on the ball? Yeah, she was the one that she was the patient coordinator. She was the one that they would call and like do scheduling and, and getting doctors to sign prescriptions. And she was like an office nurse. But still, if someone had a complaint, like she'd be the one probably who would take that complaint. She'd be the one who they would interface with. Like she was like the, the patient care coordinating nurse, very likely to hear a lot of these patients complaints. I as much as I really empathized with some of Donna's story. It was interesting to me, Lara, um, and this is one of the interesting aspects of only hearing her first name. And I, again, it is an interesting choice, but then again, we didn't hear anybody's last names in the, in the podcast. So I guess that's sort of consistent. Um, but we don't hear from Donna. We only hear sort of secondhand about Donna even through the court proceeding, right? So we kind of get the, this journalist's you know, telling us everything on the record about Donna and sort of some off the record, you know, I talked to somebody who said stuff, but we never hear anybody speaking directly on behalf of Donna. Do you think that makes a difference here? Well, I think as a journalist and, you know, I think to have any story where you really have a complete picture, you you do want to hear from her. And as somebody that works in that criminal defense world, you know, a lot of times when there is like a sentencing case and you as a defense person do a sentencing report to show the other side of what was going on at the time that something happened. And so in this case, I don't know if there was such a report, but I feel like we got some of that. And I did like, I think the writing was really well done in the way that they sort of introduced the story of the nurse uh, and, and introduced Donna's story. And, you know, about her husband and her kids. But I also felt like as it went on, the balance, because she did not have anybody speaking for her, really tipped the other way toward the victims. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't have. I'm just saying that there wasn't, to me, because her perspective wasn't portrayed from anybody that directly knew her in a way that was really substantial in this. I did not come away with as much sympathy as maybe I could have or would have if we had had some additional voices actually who knew her, who could bring to light sort of a little bit more of her story in a way, because I left it and I even felt like, I think one of my favorite parts of this was one of the victims being 
a defense lawyer. Yep. And really being upset and then going when the deal was announced in the terms of deals, but like from a defense perspective, like I was like, good deal. Like good for them. Like, right. wow, right. they pulled off a good one here. So I think, you know, you hear about her getting this good sentence, but again, it's not that they didn't try. It's just, it's unfortunate because I think that sort of does a disservice to the complete picture that we could have had here. Donna was very lucky because Donna had a set of victims who are really well-educated women and very pro-criminal justice reform victims. Yeah. So Donna had literally had a victim who said, I don't want the perpetrator to go to jail because I do research in opioid use disorder. I don't think that people who are addicted should go to prison. Donna had a criminal defense attorney as a victim who didn't believe that she should go to prison. Um, And then Donna had these very like empathetic women who are victims I think the defense made a huge mistake with their arguments about why Donna shouldn't go to jail, because I think the arguments themselves made Donna less empathetic when they used Donna's children as the excuse for why Donna shouldn't yeah, go to jail. I, oh, I totally agree. That was that was like a tone deaf argument. That it was, was a- it was hor- It was horrifying. Every defendant has family, right? And it's like, right, Kevin? I mean, didn't that wasn't that just like a slap in the face to every every victim in this story in many ways? Yeah, I mean, uh, right. I, I mean, keep I, in mind, think, I, I don't think she should go to jail any more or less because of that defense. But that was a terrible defense in this case. Yeah, but it worked. If you would please rise, I'm going to impose a sentence. The judge sentences Donna to four weekends in prison alternating weekends, because of her custody arrangement. On Sundays, the marshal will make sure she gets out in time to pick up her kids. She got, what, every other weekend? In jail for, what, like, three weeks? or four? I mean, that's just... It's an amazing deal. Amazing. I take that deal, and I didn't commit any crime. You know? <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll report. Yeah, but the, the deal is that, you're right, like in every criminal case... People have affairs that need to be put in order. They're family people, and you're right. One of the interesting things, though, is that a lot of this is based on the presumption that the children would not be well off with the father. And I think that there was an they put an awful lot on that, considering those facts were not really in evidence. They didn't bring the father in to question him. I mean, we're basically taking this like secondhand that this would be bad for the children. No. It may be bad. It may be catastrophic. It might also maybe be inconvenient, but as inconvenient as X, Y, or Z. So to take that and say, oh, yeah, well, it looks like the father's, you know, that that's bad for the children. Well, then I think maybe you shouldn't go to jail, essentially. You know, I, th- I found that very surprising. Now, also, like you said, Donna's a sympathetic figure in some ways, but it's one thing to steal uh, and take drugs away from from somebody, but to also like bear witness to the actual effects of that, of who you've hurt and continue to do that. I know that you have a a disease and that it's hard to control. Yeah. You want to be sympathetic, but you are still a, uh, you're still a perpetrator. You're still a criminal, but there is a horrible poetry to the fact that the women were victimized because they wanted children and their abuser gets a slap on the wrist because she has children. So it makes it, and it, you know, it really does kind of make it different if this story were about people who went to an oral surgeon. 
and 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 Novocaine or whatever you know painkiller was diverted. By the way, I mean maybe the guys are like, well, I don't know if I could. I suppose you know that kind of uh, procedure would be very painful. How about this? We can all agree on this. If you got a filling and the Novocaine didn't work, or you weren't really given Novocaine, that would hurt. And if the person who diverted the Novocaine away from you is there in the sitting next to the chair or in the other room, that's also very horrible. But because this there's like this whole other, you know sad, you know, almost uh, quasi-traumatic or, or tragic theme that it's, you know, it's all about the desire to have children, the thing of the women who are saying, like, they believe, like, their bodies don't work already because they can't get pregnant. Like, all these other things are at play with the women who've been victimized. And so then sort of the last insult to their injury is the fact that, well, you may not get what you consider to be strong justice because this woman has what you don't have, which is a family, which is what we hear in the in the clip in the uh, the top of our discussion. Yeah. Can I just ask a, a quick question about how this podcast sounds? I think this podcast sounds extraordinarily good. I love the scoring. I love the theme music. I just think this podcast sounds singularly excellent does anyone else uh have anything they want to say about just the incredible production of this of this show like the music is fucking extraordinary (laughs) yeah the music was just used so perfectly and it conveyed the mood and the tone of this story it really it was it was a perfect accompaniment it was composed by a, a violinist in france According to the, you know, the show notes page that they had a nice, you know, it wasn't uh, Larry on his Cassia going, you know, making tonal noises. And there's this inhalation of breath at the beginning of the of the sort of like before the hit of the theme song. The swell. Yes. That is just so effective. You, You think it's the reporter about to say something, but it's actually the theme song about to hit. I'm Susan Burton, and this is The Retrievals. This is episode four. The clinic. And then back to the whole chorus is women. Um, and then it has a very Gattaca sort of like futuristic dream like quality that I haven't heard really in any show. And I love it when something is scored and put together in a way I've never heard before. I just love it. Before we do what we do, let's check the reviews of our live audience. Are they thumbs up or thumbs down for the retrievals? Kevin, what does the poll say? Uh, This is a resounding thumbs up. It's unanimous from our audience. Thumbs up for the retrievals. All right. So let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know what we think. Thumbs up or thumbs down for the retrievals from Serial Productions. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the retrievals? Yeah, this is a big thumbs up. I listened to this on my walks in my neighborhood and I didn't even get distracted by all the excitement of people going around or things I could have focused on instead and been uh, waylaid because this was just really captivating from the beginning listening to this. I really liked the writing. Um, I loved the music. I loved the voices that we had. I will say the first episode, I was like, oh, no, we're hearing it seemed like the setup was really, really big. And I felt like we're hearing from a lot of victims. They're drawing it out. Are they going to be able to deliver on this story or is this going to get bogged down because of and they delivered? And I think that as somebody that lives in a town where we had a huge drug diversion case that, you know, people are permanently living with the ramifications of. It's really interesting to hear about other cases like this in other parts of the country, but 
you got to wonder at one point, you know, at some point when these cases keep happening, you know, how how is this going to be resolved in a way where we do have some accountability so that something like this doesn't happen again? But either way, it was great rage rocking material. A big thumbs up for me. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the retrievals from Serial Productions? Yeah, I, you know, I liked it. It was, uh, I think, sort of seriousness of sort of purpose and and dealing with the subject. I think, you know, we touched on it a little bit, um, but I, I think the story is just sort of an interesting intersection of a bunch of things in our system, some of which have been going on. Like, I, I think the stuff about women's pain and then uh they give a brief little thing about how black women's pain is is even less sort of acknowledged according to studies um which just seems like something that's you know from 150 years ago or whatever so i just i i kind of felt like those different aspects of of the stuff about the way women are kind of treated by the medical profession medical like institutionalized medicine opioid addiction which obviously and fentanyl is the big thing now um you know it's it's everywhere and apparently it's in like most street drugs too get cut with fentanyl um there's just a whole bunch of things that kind of coalesce in this one story Uh, you know at times it felt a little slow to me but that's you know that could also be due to the fact that i was driving when i was listening to it things like that uh but you know it's super high quality i it's sort of examining something which maybe other podcasts look at, but in sort of our sort of long run doing this, we haven't run into anything quite like it. Uh, production obviously is excellent. Uh, so, uh, you know, a, a pretty big thumbs up from me. Kevin Flint. I'm thumbs up. It, it's a, it's a mild thumbs up. I do like the stuff from serial productions. Obviously it has great sound. It's a very interesting topic. The things that are discussed are very important. I'll just say, that as far as a podcast in and of itself, the story in of itself, it's pretty linear. There's not a lot of twists and turns necessarily in the story. It's, um, you know, we basically know it's, we hear these stories about these women who didn't get the drugs that they needed. We find out what happened to those drugs, what the consequences were. And then I think we're going to see what the institutional consequences were. I, as far as like, you know, a great narrative, you know, that's it's kind of a straight line. But I think it's it's um, the the podcast is saved by the fact that it's uh, an important issue. It's well told, and they are um, different topics that need to see the light of day. So I'm a thumbs up. I'm a big thumbs up for this podcast. This is my favorite thing that Serial Productions has done since the second season of Serial. Um, I liked it a lot better than Coldest Case in Laramie. I liked it a lot better than We Were Three, and it's because. It is enterprise journalism in an audio format. It is what this team should be doing. It is a gorgeously produced, important story told beautifully and produced beautifully without pretense, without snobbery, without going on sideways lines of storytelling that we don't need that takes away from what it is we're supposed to be hearing about, without making assumptions about its audience, without doing like diversions into things that aren't important or you know, not telling the things about the story that we actually need to hear. And this is a story that fucking needs to be told. And I think it was the right story to choose. I think the editing is crisp. I think the production is gorgeous. And I loved every second of listening to this podcast, even though at times it was difficult to listen to. 
Huge thumbs up for me for the retrievals. I didn't think I was going to love it as much as I loved it. And I'm absolutely blown away by this podcast. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Tasting this rainbow will just be one color. Mars Incorporated has teamed up with French's to unveil its new mustard-flavored Skittles. The mashup is in celebration of the widely observed National Mustard Day. The treat promises both the iconic chewy texture and tangy mustard flavor you love. The candy, (laughs) and the word candy, is doing a lot of work in this sentence and will not be available in stores. French's Mustard Mobile will be passing them out next week in New York, Washington, and Atlanta. This is not the first time French's has teamed up with other food items. Who can forget last year's mustard-flavored donut? Or that summer favorite, yellow mustard ice cream. So panel, what will be the next condiment-flavored mashup? (laughs) Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm going to just say we need to take a stand against this. <laughs> um, I mean, do you guys know like all those crazy flavors they have for Lay's potato chips? And I'm like, so I was like, they had, like the there was so, ham. Yeah. Say, yeah. Like, like when you go to, when you go to Mexico, it's wild. The Lay's potato well, chip flavors. Apparently they, they also had a cappuccino flavored potato chip. So I, I think we need to take a stand. No, 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 no. Stop <laughs> it with the French's mustard. Move on. Give us a hot dog and some mustard. Call it a day. This is nonsense. Toby, what do you think the next condiment flavored mashup should be if you're not taking a stand? Yeah, I'm not taking a stand on this one, I don't <sighs> think. Uh, take a stand, Toby. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a condiment, but I was just thinking uh, Oreos, but with a tuna fish filling. Nice. Oh, yeah. what, what do you Toby, think, Kevin? No, um, no, mayonnaise no. flavored toothpaste. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. I did brush with that. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, one more piece of business. Do we have a cat of the week this week? Uh, we do have a cat of the week this week. And it, of course, it, it's a local cat because I haven't done a local cat in a while. Exeter's local cat, Frankie. Frankie, the mayor of Exeter, the black and white cat that roams about Exeter. Um, who has his own Facebook page. He is on house arrest. He pulled two all-nighters in a row and he will not be allowed out until Friday night, which is the day after this taping. So Frankie, man, Mm. I know you got the summer fever, but you got to rein it in. Where's baby Frankie? We know, I guess. (laughs) Baby Frankie is at home. (laughs) All right. So Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you with their animals. It can be any kind to be nominated for pet of the week. How can they find you on social media? They can find me at Lara Bricker. Tony Ball, how can you be found online? Hey, uh, just a quick plug, uh, which yeah. is that the UF- UFOs have been in the news quite a bit this Hell week. Yeah, there they was have. this big and, you They're know. real, Toby. They're real. The government's been hiding bodies. Yeah. Uh, sure. So that's what I heard in Congress, man. They're going to find them in the tunnels of Exeter, Toby. You just wait. Yeah. Well, good a chance there. It's anywhere else, I guess. Uh, but anyway, if you want to, uh, if you want a little context on this, uh, the last two episodes of season three of Strange Arrivals are kind of about how these people investigating UFOs for the government or like you know the top people are much weirder than you think they are. Um, and basically, the whole second season is sort of about how do we know what we think we know like how how the folklore of ufos 
uh, in America develop. So, are you saying the government isn't hiding alien bodies? I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> reports. Uh, I'm going with a yes on that. If I was going to put money down, I'd put it pretty heavily on no. <laughs> I'm saying maybe. But Kevin if you Flynn, disagree with me, can I tell them my Twitter address? Yeah, please? yeah. What what yeah. is your Twitter handle? And yeah, your I want to make hands. another plug now too, just to <laughs> yeah. make up for that. Uh, no, it's uh, at Toby Ball NH. And where are you on Threads, Toby? You have a different one there. I'm on Threads. I'm at Toby Ball six zero three. Kevin, how can you be found online? People can tell you that there are, in fact, bodies being hidden by the government. I guess I'm on X now? X? No, it's just Twitter. Come on. At Kevin P. Flynn. Yeah, you can find me everywhere, but I still just tweet, or X, or whatever the fuck it is, at Reb Lavoie. And if you want to follow the show, you can find us everywhere at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community and our amazing Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular page, hit join the group. It's in a pinned post. Post, you'll figure it out. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we always believe in women's pain. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. So uh, we were talking about the retrievals at dinner with my son, Henry, and he came up with some alternate titles for the retrievals that Serial Productions could have come up with. Okay? Uh, From Serial Productions, this is... Ouch, ouch, owie. From Serial Productions, this is... Suck it up, ladies. Oh. From Serial Productions, this is... Walk it off. (laughs) I didn't think any of those were appropriate, but... Well, no, I just think you can put folks. a colon after the retrievals and then suck it up, ladies, I <laughs> yeah. think would be appropriate. Right. The retrievals. This will just pinch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a little pinch. <laughs> <laughs>